ulterior. Hey guys, um, so there's not really like an easy or delicate way to start off this episode. The only way that seems fitting, um, because over the last week there have been just, you know, different tumultuous events within the, the scene and alternative music that really just kind of highlights something that we should all be aware of, but you know, you constantly have these reminders about like how, and I don't mean to be cliche, but like how precious life can be and like how short it also is relatively. And just the, the unknown factor in, you know, what could happen to somebody, what is going on in their lives. Um, so, uh, Friday night was when it, broke online that Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of Foo Fighters, had passed away. Um, really, really sad. Uh, it, so my Foo Fighters story, um, it's not anything like drastic or whatever. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, this is me dating myself and showing my age. Uh, when I was a kid, LimeWire was kind of the gateway for music, like, that is where you would go to access the kind of stuff that you just have, like, at the touch of a finger right now through YouTube or Spotify or whatever else. Uh, it was LimeWire for, for myself. And my, so we had, like, a family computer, myself, my mom, and my dad, and we'd all just kind of, like, you know, use it, um, throughout the days. Um, so I would download my own music on there, Linkin Park, um, Avril Lavigne, Blink-182, whatever else. My mom would download her stuff, and my dad would also have his stuff. Um, and it was pretty apparent by, like, the titles of songs, like, whose uh, download belonged to who. Um, so my dad was, like, big into, like, 80s metal. So, um, you know, everything that he had on LimeWire, it was, like, Metallica, Iron Maiden, Guns N' Roses, things within that realm. Um, and I remember just kind of scrolling through one day on LimeWire and, uh, Everlong was in there and I thought that was really strange. Um, we're, okay, backtrack a little bit. So I played the song for myself, just kind of hear what it was. And to me that, the, the, the sonic tones of Everlong and the knowledge that my dad had downloaded it was really, really strange. Um, I, I know for a fact my dad downloaded it because he talked, he's talked before about liking that song, not anything else out of Foo Fires, but just specifically Everlong. Um, and to me, hearing Everlong, it was weird because it didn't sound like anything else that I had heard my dad listening to. It sounded something more akin to what I was into, like Jimmy Eat World, for example. Um, and Everlong just kind of became one of those songs that it stuck with me. And there are plenty of Foo Fighter songs that have been able to do that. Um, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, Times Like These. That song specifically, I think, is the best Foo Fighters song there's ever been. I love it. Um, you know, the hits that you would hear on the radio all the time, like uh, The Pretender or My Hero, really, really good songs too. A, a, a lot of great things to say about Foo Fighters. Genuinely one of the biggest and most defining bands of the last 30 years, 25 years, or whatever that tenure really was. Um, so... You know, um, a generational talent was lost and it sucked and it was 
very, very hard for a lot of people to deal with. And we really didn't have any time to kind of reel ourselves back from that news before something else happened uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, because that was when I got on Twitter and I saw from the State of the Scene account that uh, this... Okay. Keaton Pierce from Too Close to Touch passed away. Um, almost immediately after that happened, maybe like five minutes, ten minutes, I actually got on Audacity and I recorded a ten-minute episode just kind of gathering, trying to gather my thoughts about Keaton's death. And I ended up not releasing it because I didn't believe there was any way for me to put into words and thoughts everything surrounding my attachment to Keaton's work and be happy with the result and feel like I was doing his memory any justice. So that episode, you know, it was kind of just lost and it'll stay lost because a lot of it uh, involved me trying to read off lyrics of certain Too Close to Touch songs and just like kind of having been reminded how often Keaton spoke about death and more specifically death pertaining to himself and his own fate. Um, so it was really, really unsettling and unnerving. And I kind of just needed to like take a step back and just like try and process what had happened because Too Close to Touch is one of my favorite bands of all time. I would argue to the fucking end of the world that they are one of the best bands of the last decade at large like not opinionated but just a, a, a genuine fact that too close to touch is one of the best bands of the last 10 years and um it's still hard to to process and deal with and try and rationalize and make any sense of because even knowing that you know he had gone through some stuff recently and he was sick and in the hospital for a minute um it, it's still, you don't open social media expecting to read something like that. Um, it, it's going to be a while before Keaton's death, like really, really, um, you know, I don't want to say makes sense because it will never make any sense. Uh, before it kind of just like is cemented in my brain as like, okay, he's gone, you know, um, I spent a, a good portion of the last couple of days listening to a lot of Too Close to Touch, and despite you know his death being the reason why I've gone back to the material so many times over the last few days, I will just kind of casually forget like he's gone, and I'll be listening to a song, and then it just kind of uh, you know creeps back into my brain like, hey, this is why you're listening to this right now because Keaton's not here, and that that's gonna take some getting used to. It really, really is, and, uh, you know, maybe there will be a later date where I can actually sit down here and talk to all of you about the incredible things that Too Close to Touch's music had been able to do for me over the last seven years, ever since I first heard Pretty Little Thing, and, you know, I, I would love to do that one day, but I can't do it yet. It's, it, it's still just really, really hard to to kind of manage and understand. So, you know, all that being said, this episode will be dedicated to the memories of both Taylor and Keaton 
may both of them rest in peace and you know we we all need to do our parts to keep their memories alive and that's not gonna be hard because they were some class fucking musicians um so trying to move forward and look at what is to be discussed today uh we have a couple of new singles from the likes of Dayseeker, dance kevin dance maybe someday secrets and a few others i want to get into and then brand new records from animals as leaders cohen paleface telltale and machine gun fucking kelly so yeah thanks everybody enjoy this episode So this would be the part where I get into like whatever news has been happening recently, any sort of like a trending thing within the music scene, or if there's nothing within the scene uh, outside of the unfortunate events I just spoke about, uh, what's happening in like the rest of the world and pop culture. Um, the only thing that happened was Chris Rock rightfully got his shit rocked, no pun intended. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because everybody's seen it. Everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody has their opinions on it. Some opinions should have been kept in the drafts, but that's neither here nor there. Um, my own opinion about the matter is, uh, I, I condone violence when necessary. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was fine. You know, uh, I believe in, you know, talk shit, get hit. Uh, don't fuck around if you don't want to find out that kind of stuff. So, yeah, good on Will Smith. Getting into the singles for this week, uh, or rather last week, the number one ranked song in Scenic Overlook and thus being entered into the top 100 songs of season 2 list that will manifest in December, we have the brand new single from Dayseeker called Neon Grave. It's been a minute since we had some Dayseeker. Uh, their last album, Sleep Talk, dropped back in September of 2019. And that was a record that I saw get a ton of fucking love on the TL back then and still regularly. And for good reason, because I think Sleep Talk, more than any other prior Dayseeker release, showed the fullest capabilities of that band and what they're able to do. Uh, you know, songs like the title track and uh, Burial Plot. They have kind of like been lodged in my brain and I go back to them time and time again. I can sense that, that the same thing is going to happen with Neon Grave. Um, this one is heavy. It's like, okay, so like sonically some ways, but I meant lyrically and what is happening because this song is about the passing of Rory Rodriguez's father last year and just, you know, the, the emotion that Rory pulls in, he's never had any struggles with being able to you know put his own feelings into music and at the same time bring them out of listeners you know there was a lot of material on sleep talk that was like just like so um like gutting and knife twisting to get through and neon grave is largely the same this song is emotional it is so 
Like, I would imagine cathartic for Rory and perhaps anybody else, you know, dealing with loss currently or have dealt with loss in the past. You know, I, I, I know for myself, I can apply so much of what is happening with Neon Grave to things I've experienced before. Can heaven fall into my lonely earth? Because hell is when I know you won't return. Can heaven fall to earth? I want to feel it come down. Um, and just the way that Rory's able to get it across, not just lyrically, but then also the tone in his voice and the despair that you can sense in a lot of these lines. Um, Neon Grave is an accomplishment and a goddamn half for this band. Uh, it is one of the best songs I've ever heard come out of Dayseeker. And more than anything else, uh, a real like showing and sign of what could be to come from this band throughout 2022. One of the biggest bands in the scene returned last week with a new single. This is Synergy by Dance Gavin Dance featuring Rob Damiani from Don Broco. I did see a, a leak beforehand about the details of Synergy. So I, I, I think last week, maybe it was Monday or Tuesday, where Dance Gavin Dance put up a new, uh, like a, a promo shot of themselves on social media. Their Spotify picture was updated, which, you know, all that means new music, new record cycle. Um, and I did see somebody post, uh, the artwork for Synergy and the mention that it features Rob from Don Broco. Um, I, I, I guess this, this would be like Tillian kind of, uh, or rather Rob returning the favor for Tillian having been on action by Don Broco back in 2019. And, you, you know, Dance Give a Dance of Don Broco to me, that's a fucking superpower unit, guys. Like, that is goaded to the fucking extent of that phrase's definition. Um, and with, with Rob's feature, I was kind of taken back to, like, the early, early days of, of Don Broco with, like, priorities or, um, big fat smile. And I don't, I don't want to say the glory days of Don Broco because I think this band has, you know, just kind of been on top of their game no matter what the era is. But that is an era of Broco that I have, like, the biggest affinity in the world for. And to kind of hear that be channeled in Synergy meant everything to me. And then aside from Rob's feature, uh, Synergy is just another showcase of Dance Game and Dance doing what they have always done, all the way back to 2006, 2007, and just, you know, emphasize for everybody why they are one of the most talented bands that has ever existed in alternative music. Synergy is catchy, it's chaotic, it makes no sense while making all of the sense. It's everything that I could ask for at our Dance Game and Dance, and that's all I want. Uh, there is a new Maybe Someday single out right now called Under the Surface. Maybe Someday is still, like, such a an unknown entity in the scene. I really don't know how many people at this point have been able to come across them. Um, I have done my best to kind of put their name out there, e even if in, like, the smallest of ways. 
I have reviewed all their singles so far, except for that cover of Stay that they did. Not because I didn't want to, but because sometimes I try to, um, you know, not dive too deeply into covers on this platform. But uh, regardless, what I have enjoyed so much about Maybe Someday, and this applies to Under the Surface as well, is the channeling that this band is able to possess when it comes to, like, late 2000s post-hardcore, um, you know, kind of like the crab core sound that you would have heard through Stand Up and Scream or um, uh, 3D by Icy Stars, like that era of alternative music post-hardcore. The way that maybe someday is able to kind of like, uh, you know, drive that nostalgia, but not feel so dated. Like a lot of the production ends of maybe someday's music, it is like a modernized take on Crabcore. And it, it means the world to me to have something of this nature in my life right now. At, at this point in my life, I'm 26 years old. I turned 27 in two weeks, guys. Um, so those days are like, long, long, you know, uh, to be left into the past, or rather they should have been left in the past. Um, but I can't let it go. I, I love that kind of music. And maybe someday, whenever they drop something new, it gives me like this sense of satisfaction in the understanding that I maybe never grew up. I never really grew out of that phase of liking that kind of stuff. It's always followed me around. And I'm, I'm thankful to have had it follow me around this whole time because it lets me enjoy a song like Under the Surface and be able to embrace, you know, the heavy elements of it, the melody found within it, the, the cleans that sound like, you know, kind of overproduced at times, but I, I think that's a lot of the charm of Crabcore. Um, and maybe this isn't Crabcore in its like entirety, but it still, you know, checks off all of those, you know, uh, late 2000s post-hardcore vibes that I mentioned beforehand. A uh, Skylight Drive being another band that I can point to and say that, you know, maybe someday has that same soul within them. Um, I, I, I love Under the Surface. I love Maybe Someday. I want more people to give this band a chance. We got the title track to the upcoming Secrets record called The Collapse out on June 10th. In my opinion, Secrets is one of the most accomplished bands of the last decade. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean like tangible accomplishments, but rather within the music itself, Secrets has shown a level of versatility that not many other bands are able to fulfill in their careers. Um, you know, they've written songs that are just like, you know, thunderously fucking heavy. They've written songs that have that balance of heaviness and melody. They had a song back in 2017 called Incredible, my favorite song by the, that band ever, that it, it's kind of like pop punk mixed with metalcore, which is really strange, but that was what they were able to achieve. Um, Sleep Well, Darling, you know, uh, this acoustic, um, epic closer to fragile figures they have taken every sound they've ever tried to uh you know master and they've done just that um the collapse i, I think is a song that kind of exists on the heavier end of what they've ever done but 
there's still so much life and personality and character and depth to everything that's happening on the collapse. Um, you know, the verses, they're just like, um, what I visualize is like you're in a cave and like, there's just like a, a fucking ceiling of rocks that are about to fall onto you. And then the chorus is like a, a, a bit of sunlight beaming through an opening within said rocks. Very, very strange and, um, colorful explanation i understand but that's just what i visualized in my head hearing the collapse um which makes no sense because i heard it the first time standing in line at chick-fil-a but whatever um the collapse is amazing i think this is an incredible song uh an incredible follow-up to parasite back in uh when was that song february i believe like a month ago i think that's what it was um but yeah uh the full record the collapse out june 10th um, and this is going to be Secret's first album in four years, so a lot to look forward to when it comes to what Secrets are doing. I believe that the Friday that this episode uh, is... Dro- the Friday of the week that this episode is dropping was supposed to have been the release of the brand new Northlane album, Obsidian. Um, I'm checking right now when its release date is now. It's April 22nd. Um, so we're getting it three weeks later than we, uh, anticipated initially, but Northlane is still keeping, you know, the material coming. They've got a new single out called Carbonized. There's kind of a lot to unpack with Carbonized. Um, so many like genty groove vibes going on here. And that doesn't sound like so out of the ordinary for Northlane, but I think Carbonized embodies this new metal spirit that, you know, is, is kind of elevated beyond just what Northlane have been able to do with gent. Um, the, the, the bounce on Carbonized, the way that Marcus Bridges, you know, kind of harsh vocals are able to um act in complete unison and harmonization with that melody it's something that um it's just like so remarkable um this song you know it carries a lot of elements of like older new metal acts like beastie boys or limp biscuit slipknot corn all that stuff and also something more contemporary like volumes um I, I would say that Carbonized is one of the, I don't want to say like standout moments of the band in recent memory, but I can sense Carbonized being a song that is able to leave a lasting impression on me the way that maybe some songs off of Alien, for example, um, you know, couldn't really do. And I, I love Alien, but Carbonized is one of those songs that just like kind of has like, um, like a footprint to it, if that makes any sense. Um, Northlane have not missed whatsoever on the cycle so far for Obsidian. I don't see why they would miss in any manner when the episode or the record drops in three weeks. Um, yeah, we're, we're eating good because of Northlane, y'all. Okay, this one's going to be kind of interesting. Um, a new Barry Tomorrow song called Death Ever Colder. Oh! 
so here is my take on Barry Tomorrow prior to the release of this song. Um, personally, I never got it. I, I want to say, like, I understand in some ways the appeal of Barry Tomorrow, but for myself, there was something about Jason Cameron's delivery on vocals that just made it a, a little bit more difficult for me to get into Barry Tomorrow than you know, the ordinary metalcore band. Not that he sounded bad, just like, there, there was always some kind of a disconnect between myself and his vocal style. And I, I know that's not, you know, the consensus, but it, it, that's me being honest with you guys about what I felt towards Barry Tomorrow. Um, I always understood how talented they were, but I just couldn't personally, like, get into them that much. Um, and so Jason had departed Barry Tomorrow last year. I think it was around the summertime, like maybe August, um, and there wasn't really, uh, I think any, like, well, no, there wasn't any activity from the band for a while after that. They hadn't really done anything since, um, Cannibal back in 2020, which kind of got fucked over by the pandemic just being delayed for a couple months, you know, it was what it was. Um, so they have a brand new vocalist, uh, Tom Prendergast, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Prendergast, 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 sure. Um, and he is on this track. I really, really, really fuck with Tom's vocals. Um, to me, like the, the, the names that immediately came to my head when I was hearing his delivery on the chorus were Matt Tuck from Bulletfine Valentine and Sam Carter from Architects. Those are the two voices that kind of, I feel like, you know, if you mesh them together, you get Tom's delivery and it is a stellar delivery. Let me put it that way. Um, I, I, by default, guess I think this is the best Barry Tomorrow song ever, and I, I really cannot wait to see what this band is able to do this year with this new lineup. The final single that I will be going in detail on is I Love This Part by The Rex. I don't know if this would make any sense to anybody else after hearing this song, but my take on I Love This Part is if you're into the 1975 and some portions of Set It Off, um, I, I feel like you would fuck with this. And again, I don't know like if that's really a connection that anybody else can make, but it was just something that I thought of. Um, so the Rex, they have a, a, like a, a, this impressive resume to themselves. Um, they have, you know, been on tours with like Water Parks, Paramore, Nothing But Thieves. Um, I, I think the main as well, they were, um, opening for at one point. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot to unpack with, uh, the Rex as an entire group, but I love this part. There's this, um, so it's like pop rock, yet there's like, um, it, it kind of has the structure of, like an emo hip-hop song in some ways. Like, I can kind of just, like, sense, you know, one of those artists from that realm having the the delivery that is um, enabled by the verse structure and then how that builds into the chorus for I Love This Part. Um, it's really catchy, easy to vibe with, um, just a really su successful song overall. And, yeah, I, I was going to say I love this song, but that seems like so pun-filled in, you know, relation to the song being called I Love This Part. So I'm just going to say 
the song fucks. These were the remaining singles last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Paralyzed by Alt, Wired for Destruction by Body Snatcher, Can't Take Me Down by Dead Posey, Bedheads by Ivy Paint featuring Sonic Halls, Ishimura by Jason Richardson and Luke Holland, Puppy Pound by Jasmine Bean, Stars in the Sky by Kid Cudi, Trial by Fire by Kingsman, New World Sanity by Life Awaits, Carousel by Niani featuring Aviva, Turn It Up Like Stand in the Fire by Nothing More, Totally Fine by Pup, The Rest of Me by Riley, Your Ghost by Riley, Far From Home by Seek Harbor, A Velvet Feel by The Oklahoma Kid, and Glow by Wind Waker. So yeah, another week where I said every song was a 4 or a 5. I promise I don't do that because I'm lazy. I, I am lazy, but when it comes to this platform, I do actually take my, you know, um, the opinions that I put out there seriously. And if I say I think something is a 4 or a 5, I genuinely mean that. I, I think it's a 4 or a 5. And, you know, I, I would imagine for good reason. So, yeah, that's... Those are the singles. And so now we get into the records from last week. There were five of them. Um, the, the normal structure for an episode would be for me to close with the album or EP that I gave the highest score to for the week. What we're going to do, and I don't think I've ever done this before. I'm going to finish the episode with the album that I gave the lowest score to. So we're going to kind of work backwards in a way. Uh, I'm going to start off with the new re record from Animals as Leaders called Parisia. What I want to start off with is saying that whenever I think of instrumental bands within the scene, Animals as Leaders, they're not the ones that immediately come to mind. Um, you know, Polyphia, Intervals, those are the two that I immediately think of and am drawn to. Um, all that being said, Animals as Leaders, they have done more than enough to earn their status in the scene as one of the most talented bands that there is when it comes to just what they're able to craft with their instruments and what they're able to um like uh bring out of listeners emotion wise without even saying a single word and that's kind of always been uh, you know the nature of the band um i was i don't want to say late to animals as leaders but the joy of motion back in 2014 was my first instance of coming across Animals as Leaders, and namely the song on that album, Physical Education, um, that is, to this day, one of my favorite instrumental songs I've ever listened to. Um, there's something about, like, uh, just that, like, intro, the, the real, like, genty, uh, tone of it, and gent is gonna be a word that I kind of expect to be using over and over again describing this album, Parisia. Because Animals as Leaders, they have been like very prominent in the gent scene and, um, you know, you know, like, um, I guess influencing other bands, you can say that Animals as Leaders have been able to do that with gent. Uh, so the cycle for Parisia would have began back in the fall of last year with the release of Monomyth. Um, so because there are no lyrics for me to read off, I have to like, 
make the sounds that animals as leaders do um with this record uh the like the whole um bass layer of monomyth is like this repeated um like guitar riff that's just like i'm gonna fucking hate this review guys um so you know uh from that song immediately you're being shown and told through the structure of monomyth that animals as leaders they're not steering into a different direction with parisia in any way if you have been fucking with this band you know through records like i mentioned with joy motion or the madness of many um you're gonna like parisia like there's not really any way that i would see you not being able to attach yourself to this material um the problem of other minds was the second single and i really really enjoy the way that that song is um able to kind of create this atmosphere that is not so in your face with the gent side of animals as leaders but rather um from the moment you press play on that song there's like this little melody that is like almost like buttons being pressed or like some kind of a dial-up thing if that makes any sense uh and it's just like this really cool uh separation between the problem of, of other minds and then you know some of the songs on parisia that go a little bit heavier the closing song gordian knight was the final single I kind of do wish that Gordian Knight had been kept secret until Parisia released, because being the closing track, in my opinion, Gordian Knight, it kind of acts as the album, like, self-destructing in a way, and you have, um, all of these different, um, you know, little elements of the heaviness to Animals Leaders kind of just come together while at the same time combusting and, it's this really cool song that, again, is the perfect conclusion to Parisia, and for that reason, I wish it would have been kept as a single, or not a single, rather, but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I got to hear a really cool song early from this band, so I shouldn't really be bitching. Um, Parisia opens with Conflict Cartography, and I can just tell you guys immediately, that was my favorite song on this record. I believe by the scenic overlook rankings, it was my favorite song from last week that was on a record. Um, I have heard, uh, Conflict Cartography repeatedly over the last week, and it's one of those songs, and, and this applies to everything off of Parisia, but with Conflict, like, every time I hear it, and, you know, this is, um, a testament to the technical abilities and, like, the real intricate details that Animals as Leaders implement into all of their tracks, I'm able to kind of, like, hear these little different notes and elements that, uh, you know, weren't apparent to me on a prior listen. So it's kind of like, uh, being able to go back into conflict and, and again, Parisia at large and just find new things to appreciate about it. I really, really enjoy the way that conflict cartography builds itself up in that first minute. Um, and the way that it kind of just like explodes into the main, uh, you know, little melody of the song being this like, um, again, I, I have to make these sounds to get across anything at the dun 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 dun. I, I fucking suck at that, guys, but, um, I, I can't do anything else. There's no lyrics to this bullshit. Um, Conflict Cartography is fucking amazing. My favorite Animals as Leaders song is Sense Physical Education, so that covers eight years of ground, and granted, they only had one record since then, but, you know, my point still stands. Um, something else I can point out about Parisia is the kind of separation in terms of what elements of Animals as Leaders are given a spotlight. So kind of excluding drums because drums go hard no matter what the song is. But when you get into a track like Red Miso, um, that's like a bass showcase more than anything else. And then something like Thoughts and Prayers, you get a little bit more detailed with the guitar work. And that one, I can sense like, um, you know, some Polyphia stuff, maybe off of Renaissance. 
implemented into microaggression or rather thoughts and prayers. Microaggressions is, uh, you know, kind of spoken about in the same breath as Gordian Knight for myself in the sense that every element of animals as leaders just kind of comes together and it's kind of like they're battling each other while also existing alongside one another. And it's this really cool sound that maybe shouldn't work and it's kind of combobulated more than, you know, it's cohesive, but it works. It works incredibly well, and these tones from the guitar and the bass and the drums, they're able to create these own melodies without there being any lyrics that are catchy and are able to kind of like uh, imprint themselves onto your brain and not leave you, you know? Um, the, the, the melody I spoke about previously with co conflict cartography, I can just hear it for, you know, no reason whatsoever throughout the days since I heard this record last week, and like, it's... It's almost as powerful to me as, like, a catchy hook vocally. Animals as Leaders, they, um, with Parisia, I, I think reaffirmed, like, why they are one of the best bands in the world when it just comes to the sheer talent found within them and all of the members encompassing Animals as Leaders. Parisia is an accomplishment, guys. Like, this is just, you know, um, like a... If there was a pissing contest with animals as leaders, like, you know, involved when it comes to how good are you at your instruments, they got the shit in the bag, like, no doubt about it. Parisia is unbelievably great. I enjoy animals as leaders immensely. This is one of the best instrumental albums I've ever listened to in my life. Polyphia, you have 24 hours to respond. Uh, let me get into the new uh, Pale Face album called Fear and Dagger. So Paleface is a deathcore band from Switzerland, so that should immediately tell you like what the nature of this band is if you're unfamiliar with their material. Um, and it's not a lot of material, surprisingly. So they had like a, I was going to say a series, but it's like a, a duet of EPs. There was uh, Chapter 1 from The Gallows in 2018, and then Chapter 2 Witch King in 2019, and that culminated in an album in 2020 called Chapter 3 The Last Selection. And so I would say having heard that album like briefly back when it dropped in 2020, um, it was really, really, really fucking gnarly. Maybe not something that did, um, you know, a hell of a lot to like really stick with me. Um, but I wouldn't say that it was like one of those deathcore albums that just kind of blends with all the others. Um, there is a unique characteristic to Paleface that is kind of hard to describe, because I feel like with Deathcore, you know, to the average consumer, they all sound the same. There's nothing unique about Paleface from um, Lorna Shore, for example. But for somebody who, you know, has an ear for Deathcore, you can tell, like, uh, you know, those little aspects of certain bands that make them who they are. And with Paleface, it's so, like heavy and grimy and uh, again not a good description because that's you know uh um that's what deathcore just entails but with paleface they do it in this really unique way that is able to elevate fear and dagger as being uh, an album that i would say you know really really holds its own against some of the better deathcore albums i've heard in recent years 
And I think one of those aspects would be the ability for Paleface to kind of slow things down while just still continuously being really fucking like face stompingly heavy. Um, so take The Orphan, for instance. The Orphan was the one single for this record that I was able to review in the weekly things I do on social media. The Orphan is one of those songs that, again, it's kind of a little bit slower in pace compared to some deathcore tracks. You know, I would say The Orphan kind of embodies maybe, like, heavy metal from, like, a dated time period, but it has all of those deathcore elements that I would say I personally look for, you know, is it heavy? Is it chaotic? Is it just, like, really fucking aggressive and angry? Yeah, to all of those things. The Orphan was a really good way for me to kind of ease myself into what was going to be happening with Fear and Dagger. And I say that while also not at all having had any way to prepare myself for the opening song, 666. So I'm going to read off what the description of the song says on Genius. Because it reads like a copypasta, or creepypasta rather. Allegedly, a Reddit user who suffers from schizoaffective disorder says it is a recording of himself that he made while having a psychotic episode. And all that's happening in 666 is literally just hearing somebody, like, you know, go through what it describes there in terms of like a, a schizophrenic episode, or a psychotic episode rather. Um... I don't want to see it because every time, because every fucking time that you want me to watch something, it ends up just being fucking terrifying. Oh, don't you, oh, you don't understand. I don't want to watch this shit because it's fucking gross. It's scary. And then by the end of that uh, song, I I say that in quotations, the guy is literally screaming, please leave me alone. Leave me alone. Mom, 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 mommy. I love you. I love you. And it's done in the most like tormenting way possible. And in no way does 666 like, you know, ease you into the following song, Pain. It just throws you into the fucking deep end and Pain starts off in the most aggressive way that it possibly can. And I love that about this record. And I, I, I love how Paleface, you know, at times I said can slow things down while still being heavy. But then when they want to still be heavy in the way that people associate Deathcore with being, they can fucking do that at the clip of like a, Clip, click of a button, snap of a finger. I don't know where I was going with that. And uh, fr- from then on out, you get a strand of songs with like Suppressing Times and Make a Deal with the Devil and Death Touch that are able to showcase a amalgamation of deathcore and hardcore. Not necessarily one genre being more dominant than the other in this material. Um, I would say that with... Um, what was the song? Dead Man's Diary, which features Florent from Landmarks. I think that is able to kind of like stand out as one of the, or not one of, but rather the premiere song on Fear and Dagger, in my opinion. Um, and you know, I don't want to say that's all the credit to the Florent feature. The Florent feature is amazing, and I definitely adore that as a massive fan of Landmarks. Um, but there's just something about Dead Man's Diary that like, uh, you know, even without the feature, it, kind of carries a little bit more depth to it than some of the other tracks here. Um, I want to also uh, point out the song My Grave, Lay With Me. Um, if you can like call hardcore hip-hop a genre, that is what that song is very much so grounded in. It's like dramatically different from anything else on Fear and Dagger, but I really, really admire the experimentation on the part of Paleface and the chance that was taken with My Grave, Lay With Me kind of having you know, that hip-hop um, experimentation element to it. Um, so one thing that I will say, uh, just kind of like pointing out my biggest, I guess, flaw with 
um, this record, if you want to call it a flaw. Um, and I, I've said this before about albums. Um, I am very, very picky when it comes to run times and shit like that. Um, for an album to, um, you know, be long, it needs to grab my attention all the way through. So Fear and Dagger is one hour and six minutes. And maybe to some people that's not an extended period of time. Um, for myself, it's definitely, uh, you know, more drawn out than what I'm used to. Um, and while all the songs here are good and some of them even great, I would say, um, I do kind of find myself not really being as attached to some of the later material like Hellhole or Bite the Curb, the way that I was earlier tracks, uh, you know, namely Pain and Dead Man's Diary. But even with that, um, the attention is never fully lost. It's just not always there in the same increments, if that makes any sense. Um, Fear and Dagger is this really, really good album that I... You know, I don't feel like I wasted my time with, even though I just said it was, you know, extended in length. I don't believe that I was, um, you know, wishing I was doing something else when I was hearing Fear and Dagger. I think it is able to stand firmly in the discography of Pale Fates. It's a, you know, great venture into that more deathcore, uh, hardcore realm that they've, um, you know, found themselves kind of being lodged into. And I, I, I think it was a good outing for Pale Face. Uh, so there's one album and one EP left before we get into the big grand finale, if you consider it to be grand. Um, that's up to your discretion. So I'm going to get into the new Cohen record called Happy Dot Wave. I'm going to kind of like jump a little bit ahead in the descriptive phase of the review for Happy Dot Wave to kind of get a point across immediately. So there's a song on here. It is a dramatist which features Tyler Denon from Sworn In. And I'm making that distinction for that track right now because seeing that on the track listing enabled me to immediately be um, you know, reminded of Swornin's material and specifically the album All Smiles from back in 2017 because All Smiles had this like really dirty and like kind of creepy at times, um, metalcore nature to it. And for myself, at least that was able to kind of make it to where All Smiles was an album that never left my brain. It's always kind of just been something that I go back to every once in a while. And I'm able to put myself back into that mindset of 2017 and hearing it for the first time and just being like, what the fuck is any of this? Like, this is so kind of out there from what I normally listen to in metalcore. I, it's just so unnerving, uh, you know, for lack of a better way of really phrasing that. Um, my point in explaining all that was Happy Dot Wave shares a lot of those characteristics when it comes to its delivery. It's so, like, chilling a, a, a lot of times, and I wasn't able to make that connection right away when hearing some of the singles. Um, the last single that I had saved for Happy Dot Wave prior to its release was Closed Casket. Um, with Closed Casket, there are, like, these specific sections throughout it where it's mostly bass, but you can still hear, like, the, like, the diabolical tone in the vocals shine through, and 
it, it's this atmosphere that, um, you know, I can only really, um, intake like in sections. I don't believe I would be able to kind of listen to an album like Happy Dot Wave several times over the course of a couple weeks. It's made special because I don't normally get to listen to something like this. In some ways, the opening portion of Happy Dot Wave eases you into, into the material while also not really doing a good job at easing you in, and I mean that in the most respectful way. So it opens with I Am, which starts off with like this piano melody, and it's like kind of deceitful in that nature, because it's able to take that, you know, calm sound and just completely disintegrate it and create this just really weird and scary kind of vibe going for it. Um, I recently reviewed, um, God, the introvert album. Uh, it was a long title, so it's kind of escaping me right now, but, um, there, there's a lot of similarities there too. And just like how, um, it doesn't hold back. It's like just really disturbing tone, uh, you know, and I am goes into fix and fix is like the first proper taste on the album of what is to come with happy dot wave. And again, it's heavy. It's just really fucking, uh, anxiety inducing in some ways. Um, like it's kind of hard for me to hear songs on happy dot wave and feel like I'm at peace or in a state of like tranquility. It's so unsettling. And I, I keep saying those terms over and over again, but I really, really want to emphasize to you guys just like what Happy Dot Wave is able to do to me as a person and just kind of bring these like really like, you know, chilling emotions out of me. And it's kind of cathartic to have a record like this, not going to lie. There are even like some slightly clean moments uh, vocally with songs like The Old Me and Impend. The Old Me specifically does it in like this beautiful tone, yet you, it, by that point with the album, you understand like this isn't actually beautiful. It's not going to last. This is like meant to kind of be a contrast and then it's going to go right back into that heavy sound. And that's exactly what it does. Impend, I would say that one, um, it's a little bit more traditional with how it approaches clean vocals, but it's kind of almost clouded by the the creepiness of the rest of the track um the song love sick so that one like kind of almost within like you know the first uh few seconds of the track the that first opening bit some gnarly fucking growls dude like that shit is so, so factoring in what i've been saying about like the atmosphere and how it's so like dark and creepy mix that in with these fucking demonic growls and it is like I got this is like a horror movie soundtrack by that point guys like it is just completely out there um the song hindsight I had that in scenic overlook it was my favorite track on the record hindsight is not really slower I, I would say but it just kind of has a bit of a different delivery compared to other tracks on here um it's still heavy it's still so grimy but at the same time it feels a bit more coherent if that makes any sense it, it's like more a, a little bit more streamlined uh i will say um i would say the final three songs happy bad habits and fly mouth they all kind of showcase something that cohen mastered on happy dot wave and that is the deconstruction the de uh, the deconstruction of a track as it concludes and what i mean by that is the closing portions of each of those songs does a great job at taking you know the concept of a breakdown and just kind of making it even more gross than the best breakdowns already are um happy dot wave is 
the kind of album that I feel like, for as much as I like it right now, I question if I've even gotten the full scope of it yet. I feel like this is an album that, if I keep going back to it over and over and over again, that affinity is only going to expand. And I kind of want that to happen because I can tell that there is a lot of material here that is able to separate itself from the average metalcore album and be something, you know, of a standout caliber. I would say Happy.Wave is one of the most must-hear albums in metalcore so far this year. And I, I, I would honestly bet that anybody who hears this album, you will not forget that initial experience when listening to it. Okay, this is already kind of a long episode. Uh, we're almost out of here though. We're gonna get into the one EP from last week, that being Liar Way Out by Telltale. So, truthfully, Guys, this was my first time hearing about Telltale, um, and I've definitely, like, been missing out in terms of what they have to their name already. They actually do have an album from 2019 called Timeless Youth that um, I will find the time soon to visit, because just what I heard off of Liar Way Out, um, I, I, I have been missing out on Telltale. Um, so there are only five tracks here. It opens with Slow Burn, and Slow Burn kind of has like this, um, so the, the EP is primarily grounded in pop punk, I would say. Um, Slow Burn specifically has like, almost like this like power element to the pop punk sound in it. So, um, you know, just like, uh, like just a really cool rhythm, like the kind of chorus that you can, or at least I can just like visualize myself, you know, just like sitting in a room by myself and it comes on and I'm just like nodding my head to it. Um, you know, similarly to what I would something like, um, neck deep, for instance, I'm not saying slow burn sounds like neck deep, but that's just like the connection I was able to make to this already existing material that, you know, I would assume you guys have heard before. Um, pessimist. So that's the second song I really enjoy. And this is like maybe like a weird minor element, but like the repetition of the name of the track, Pessimist, and the way that it's kind of like um, almost like muted at the same time as uh, the instrumentation behind it is kind of muted as well. So there's like this marriage between what's happening lyrically, lyrically with Pessimist and the backing of it that is able to make uh, the kind of pop punk song that isn't so like energetic as, you know, the standard pop punk song per se, but um, that scaled back nature of it i think really really lends itself to making pessimist one of the highlights of liar way out the song out of control that one has like an extra kick in the step of the delivery at least in comparison to the other material on liar way out um it's a little bit fast paced not really but just slightly um great fucking energy to out of control i really liked that aspect of that track um it was just one of those songs i like you know it kind of comes and goes it's only two minutes and 47 seconds but there's a lot accomplished in that time frame. Um, Cobain features Honey Revenge, and I really enjoy the balance of vocals in that song. Um, I would say Cobain, um, at least in like the first opening seconds of that song, kind of has like a, you know, this resemblance of like emo hip hop in some of the instrumentation choices there. But for the most part, Cobain is able to kind of cycle itself back around to being you know, the standard pop punk song that Telltale have by that point established as being more than capable of delivering. And then the closer, which is the title track, um, this kind of pop punk, it, it's like one of my favorite 
uh, concepts found within the genre. So, you know, it's a kind of song that is like really, really slow in the verses and then it picks up for the chorus. And I love that contrast in style and Telltale able to do some really, really cool stuff with the chorus and lie your way out. It's got like a kind of like a stop start thing going for it. Um, but it, it's just one of those songs that like, um, you know, if I had to describe to somebody like what my ideal pop punk song is, this definitely is not far from what I would kind of make up in my brain. Um, so Liar Way Out, not a perfect EP by any means, but at least for like introducing me to Telltale, it did its job exceptionally well. I think that this is a, a really, really cool EP to like spend a little bit of time with. It's not long at all. Uh, so, you know, go ahead and check it out. Um, it, not many people are going to get to hear it. I, I would say, I, I don't know what the reach of Telltale is. Um, but just for myself, um, I am thankful and grateful to have been able to come across this and review it this week. Um, well, there, there's one album left to talk about and I, uh, <laughs> all right, let's, let's do it. Mainstream Sellout by Machine Gun Kelly. I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. I'd rather be afraid than somebody's puppet. Release your leash. I don't belong in the circus. They cut each my wings. So there's my name as a curse. And now I'm six feet deep. I guess my life wasn't perfect. So there are, uh, several places I could start with this record. Um, I guess where I'm going to begin would be my start with MGK because it's not recent. So I first came across MGK back, uh, it was like towards the end of 2011 or the beginning of 2012. Um, there was like this, uh, HTC commercial and I did have to look that up before I did this review. Um, an HTC commercial that I remember seeing, you know, you know, very frequently on TV and the song used in it was Invincible. Invincible having been a song off of MGK's debut record, Laced Up, uh, or Lace Up, not Laced Up. And it was interesting, I would say. Um, it, it, it's kind of a, uh, um, it's generic hip hop for that time frame, but I still fucked with that track. And I went ahead and checked out Lace Up later on when it dropped towards the end of 2012. And I honestly do like quite a bit of material on there. Um, one of the things that kind of like drew me into it was the song Save Me, which features M Shadows and Sinister Gates from Avenged Sevenfold. So there were ties to the scene that MGK kind of already had. Um, there was a song on there called End of the Road, which features Black Bear. And I thought, um, the Palisade song Player Haters Ball was my introduction to Black Bear, but it was actually End of the Road. And that's, that means something to me because we're going to circle back to Black Bear soon when talking about mainstream sellout. Um, so with MGK, there's kind of always been some bit of a scene tie-in. It's just, it, it wasn't always so apparent, especially when, you know, he's got songs on here featuring Waka Flocka and Tech 9 and DMX for that matter. Um... But I would say I did like Lace Up quite a bit. Um, the next time I heard about MGK afterwards was there was like a mixtape that he had in 2013 called Black Flag. And there's a cover on there of Swing Life Away by Rise Against and it features Kellen Quinn from Sleeping in Sirens. 
So again, another scene tie-in. And I, I, I can't front with you guys. Like, I fucking love that cover of Swing Life Away. I would say I actually like it more than the Rise Against version. And something that's the Rise Against version, it's the original for a reason, because it fucking goes. But, and maybe it has to do with the time period um, in 2013 that kind of, you know, draws me to that cover more than anything else. Um, uh, another thing I remember about MGK was there was a girl in high school who I had a crush on and she subsequently had a crush on MGK. So that was like really, really weird because I, I fucked with MGK, but I didn't fuck with that fact about him. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. Nothing to, to worry about nowadays. Um, so what happened after that, uh, for MGK? The, um, I, I, I did fall off on him a bit. Um, there was the 2015 album, uh, the, the name of it's escaping me right now, uh, General Admission, uh, which has, um, <laughs> there's a song on there that features Kid Rock, and it is one of the worst fucking songs I've ever heard in my life. Um, I'm trying to find the name of it because, uh, it's gonna bother me if I don't remember it for, uh, historical context. Okay, it was called Bad Motherfucker, so, yeah, um, MGK has been capable of cringe for a long time now, guys, like, this isn't new, uh, but on, on the other end of that, there's a song on that record called A Little More that I would say is one of my favorite MGK songs ever, I genuinely, truly love that song, um, I'm going to skip ahead in the timeline a little bit because I really do want to get into, you know, the more recent stuff and why we're even talking about him in the context of our alternative scene. Um, so at the end of 2019, he released a standalone single called Why Are You Here? Um, that remains my favorite MGK song ever. Um, I've listened to that song so many times, even more recently because I knew I was going to be talking about this album coming up. Um, but Why Are You Here is... Just everything that I think MGK is able to do extraordinarily well. It doesn't dip too heavily into pop punk. It's kind of just like a straight up alternative song. And to me, there's an authenticity to Why Are You Here that I don't think is there on some material later on from him. Um, Tickets to My Downfall. This is one that, you know, we all know about. We all listen to. I assume we all listened to. Um, And that having been the opening of the floodgates that is uh scene phase machine gun kelly um so can't lie to you guys i've said before i will never ever lie to you about any of my opinions there are some fucking bangers on tickets to my downfall some songs that i really 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 enjoy um namely concert for aliens and mike's best friend that one featuring black bear um they're just good songs. I, I can't, you know, find anything wrong with them. I, I think there was a lot of material on Tickets to My Downfall that ended up being like really, really re- repetitive and didn't do a ton to stand out. Um, but I, I, I liked quite a bit of that record. I can't act like I didn't. Um, so in between Tickets to My Downfall and Mainstream Sale Up, there were two standalone singles, uh, Daywalker featuring Corpse and Love Race featuring Kellen Quinn. I fuck with both of those songs, guys. I'm sorry. I can't lie about it. Um, Daywalker, I didn't initially love, but I ended up coming around on it, and I really, 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 really do like it. Love Race, one of the best MGK songs ever. I, I truly believe that. Um, 
And, you know, it was like kind of cool for myself having already, you know, established my connection to the Swing of Life away cover that featured Kellen to come back years later and have this full-fledged pop-punk MGK song that featured Kellen. That meant a lot to me, personally. Um, so, mainstream sellout. This is where we're at now. And so, there are two sides to the MGK explanation that I really, really, really want to kind of make apparent because I'm going to be reviewing this album and MGK at large through two different scopes. One being the music itself on mainstream sellout and then two being the image of MGK and the discourse around him that you see regularly on the TL. Um... Okay, so let me let me just talk about the music or try to just talk about the music itself. There's a lot here for me to like, honestly. Um, so Emo Girl was not the lead single. The lead single was Paper Cuts. Paper Cuts was a 2021 song, but honestly, I had kind of forgotten about it until hearing Mainstream Cell last week. But it's a good song. I, I actually do really, really enjoy it. Emo Girl is the one that, you know, kind of reminded people who don't like mgk why they don't like him um i i like emo girl i i think it's a good song uh it's catchy it holds my attention it kind of does what i need a song to do in order for me to you know be attached to it um where i think emo girl goes wrong is the the dullness of its lyricism and how it doesn't feel authentic to MGK in any way. Um, and I don't even mean that, you know, with regard to him uh, being in a relationship with Megan Fox, who is not an emo girl, but it just kind of, like, why is MGK the one delivering these lyrics? Um, you know, th- that, uh, that chorus, that, again, is really, really catchy, and I do like it, but... I fell in love with an emo girl. I'm in love with an emo girl. I fell in love with emo girl. All I want is emo girl. Where did that come from for MGK? That is honestly really, really strange. But again, I do like the song. So there's not a lot of avenues for me to be critical of it. And then we got Maybe featuring Bring Me the Horizon. You know, maybe I think it was two weeks ago at this point. It was sometime before the album released. And when I saw that there was a Bring Me the Horizon feature, or more specifically, an Always Sykes feature on Mainstream Sellout, I was like, oh, fuck. And I I don't mean that because I thought the song was going to be bad. I knew the song would not be bad. I knew I was going to love Maybe. But now, by association, my favorite band of all time is Catching Strays by being on this record. And I don't fuck with that. Um, So, but uh, Maybe is really, really good. I can't act like I don't fuck with it immensely and again there are some good songs on the album uh genuinely songs that i like even if they weren't from mgk just some random other artists in the scene i would still be fucking with like the opener born with horns which was initially the name of mainstream sellout and mgk and travis barker got matching tattoos that say born with horns and then that ended up not being the name of the album kind of fucked up but it'd be what it be um the the second song god save me that is able to kind of provide an example of where mgk kind of loses me lyrically because i'm not saying that you know he can't have struggles but what i'm saying is that there are some ways in which he is kind of getting across the narrative 
in a way that doesn't really feel authentic. Uh, uh, you know, to mention that phrase again, um, some of it feels like he kind of is, you know, making scenarios that are meant to appeal to the pop punk audience. Um, so like, uh, you know, take it from, from, you know, this part of the song, I'm a lost boy. I'm a lost boy. She's a goth girl. She's a pop girl. I know a one way. I know a one way to a lost world to a lost world. Um, it's just weird. And then even earlier in the song, it's kind of venturing away from that nature, like that, you know, generic pop punk nature. Uh, fuck cops, read me my Miranda rights, poison the brain, follow along. They'll make the rules for no reason. Run away, go find where you belong and don't tell no one you're leaving. So with a song like God Save Me, I can't really find the validity in what MGK is saying. In comparison to a song like uh, World War Four, that one I can listen to and be like, okay, this is who he is. Like, this anger found within him, this is who he is. I hear too many interviews from these artists in the news speaking on my name, so this is what we're going to do. I got ten fingers, choose two, both hands, fuck you, ten toes, black boots, stomp the shit out of you. That I buy. And I wish there was more of that on the album, as opposed to what I think MGK, you know, believes punk is meant to represent. And we can get into that conversation later, because I do want to speak again on MGK at large and his image after I've wrapped up my thoughts on the album itself. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back to this point. A lot of the material here I find to be really, really catchy. That's not an area where MGK struggles with. Um, Drug Dealer featuring Lil Wayne and Makeup Sex featuring Black Bear, I think, are two highlights of how this guy is able to just craft uh, really catchy and infectious melodies. Um, Makeup Sex, in particular, was one of the, like, pillars of the album, in my opinion. And, you know, again, features Black Bear... And it, to kind of go back to what I mentioned earlier with End of the Road, a fucking 10, 11 year old song featuring Black Bear back then, and we're still getting Black Bear and MGK material to this day. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, there's a song towards the end of the track listing, Die in California, which features uh, Gunna, Young Thug, and Landon Barker. Um, so with that song, it's not really pop punk. I, I think that one is the most hip-hop thing MGK has done in a minute. And you know what? I think he actually excels at that sound. I think MGK blending, you know, this alternative flair that he's found with hip-hop influence, it makes for a really, really cool song. And I would love to see MGK do more of this in the future. I, I think there's something d definitely here for him to work with and kind of fine-tune and really, really, um, you know, make something out of. Uh, the closing song, Twin Flame, it's the song on here about Megan Fox. Um, it's primarily acoustic, uh, so, you know, it, it definitely does sound different from everything else on the album. Um, and honestly, guys, I, I would say it's, it's really good. I, I actually do like Twin Flame a lot. It's a very beautiful song. It's been six days since the last time I saw your face and you asked my sign. I told you mine. I questioned why and you said everything's aligned. On the first day you told me I was your twin flame from a past life and tonight the moon is full so take me anywhere outside. I cannot kiss you yet. You're magic so I'll just stare at you instead. I get insecure and panic because I know you're too pure for this. It's a good song. I truly, truly believe that. Um, it's a great way to close the album. Um, I, I, I do like it when records from any artist are able to kind of, you know tone things down for the closer and just like really really leave a good lasting impression on me 
Um, I, so where do I stand on mainstream sellout, at least in comparison to tickets of my downfall? They're probably equivalent. I, I don't necessarily prefer one over the other. I think if anything, the material on mainstream sellout might be more consistent, whereas tickets has the bigger songs. Um, you know, I would put concert for aliens and my ex's best friend over anything on this album. Um, but again, mainstream solo is probably more consistent, uh, just in my opinion. So looking strictly at the music, I, for the most part, like it. But then there's MGK as a figure and a public image and, you know, how he has kind of made his way into the alternative scene. Um, so I think some of this, um, we, we have to stop asking him fucking questions because when you ask him questions, you get shit like the quote from billboard, the 2010s was great for singers and rappers. And I was part of that, but I think we needed something else. We needed an instrument and billboard, the billboard description there says machine gun Kelly on bringing back guitar-based music. What the fuck is guitar-based music? And if guitar-based music ends up meaning music that just has guitars, it, it didn't go anywhere. It, it's been here the whole time. I've been covering it for a year. I have been listening to it for fucking 20 years. Um, I don't know if some of this is MGK feeding into the narrative. I don't know if he has kind of taken on that, like, antagonistic role and become like you know the alternative scenes version of jake paul for example um i would think that's not what he's trying to do he's just genuinely being himself and being himself has gotten him into this position uh for better or worse um i i, I think with mgk there's um so something that needs to be established is um him being a successful pop punk musician, it's not helping pop punk. And that was never the intention. Um, you know, I, I do remember when, when, uh, Tickets of My Downfall charted really, really well. And some of the discourse was about how this is great for pop punk. And, you know, we're going to see other bands in the genre thrive. That didn't happen. And I wouldn't even say COVID had anything to do with that. I just think, that was never going to be an end result of Machine Gun Kelly's venturing into alternative music. Um, if it was so easy to get pop punk into the charts like that, then fucking the story so far would have been the biggest band in the world. And, you know, that's just not the case. Um, MGK is a, is a successful pop punk musician because he was going to be successful no matter where he traveled to in terms of genres. He could have gone into country and he would have been a, a successful country artist. He could have gone to EDM and would have succeeded there because of who he is, because he already had a very, very, very well established audience prior to pop punk. And even with the Eminem stuff, he was still going to succeed no matter what. It just happened to be pop punk that he landed on um do i think mgk deserves his success uh yes i do because he did work for it through hip-hop um he just happened to go into a different um prof not profession but just a different avenue for his already existing profession um i would say with mgk 
I don't have a problem with him being in pop punk. I have a problem with um, the idea that he's doing anything good for anyone in the scene other than himself. Or the people around him, like Travis Barker and Black Bear and Willow and Ian Dior. Um, because, you know, this isn't doing anything for pop punk. It's just doing something for himself. And that's fine. You know, that's okay. It's fine that the only person benefiting from this stuff truly is MGK. I don't have an issue with that. But let's not pretend that, uh, you know, people going out of their way to hear mainstream sellout are going to go out of their way to listen to something like Between You and Me or uh, Bearings. You know, that's just not going to happen. So he's not a gateway artist. He is, for a lot of people, a lot of average consumers, the ceiling of pop punk. He is where the conversation begins and ends. And maybe, you know, they sprinkle out to other artists similar similar to him, like Lil Huddy or Jaden, which is fine. You know, I like those two guys. I don't have a problem with it. But there's a reason why that tour package that he just, you know, introduced, it doesn't branch out into the scene outside of maybe Paris. Um, I think a few other points I want to make before I get out of here are um, MGK... When it comes to like the spirit and the nature of pop punk, he embodies so much of what um, alternative music is not, you know, symbolic of. And I don't mean that in a gatekeeping way, but like he didn't have the grind, you know, he didn't have that um, that journey that other bands do. Um, I think maybe a way to look at this would be if anybody saw that Warp Tour documentary from way back when. Um, I think it's like No Room for Rockstars. Is that what it was called? Uh, for Warp Tour 2010, I believe it was. And how uh, you got to see, you know, a, a bunch of different um, viewpoints for that documentary and certain artists that were on uh, Warp Tour that year. So, namely, um, you know, two of the artists or... Two of the acts that were highlighted in the documentary were Forever Came Calling and Mike Posner. So this is around the time that Mike Posner's song, um, Cooler Than Me, was like really, really, really taking off. And he just happened to be on Warp Tour when that was happening. And so you see this guy who is on Warp Tour and is performing a top charting song. And in between sets, you know, he is going out to do media appearances and promote this big ass single. And then on the other end of that, you have Forever Came Calling, a, a startup band, a very much so DIY band that took the time and invested the money to travel with Warp Tour in hopes of just being able to show Kevin Lyman a song and maybe be able to play a makeshift stage for like five or ten people. Um, so, you know, with that, you saw two sides of the scene, and I think that's where we're at right now with with MGK. He didn't have to put in the work that other bands did. And maybe people take offense to that. I don't because I my my mindset on things like success are if you got there, you got there. And it doesn't really matter how you did. Um maybe that's antithetical to the alternative scene, but it's just how my brain works. Um so I'm not going to criticize MGK for um you know having luxuries that certain other pop punk artists don't um mgk when it comes to the grind of being an alternative musician he doesn't get it 
because he chooses not to get it because he doesn't need to get it. Um, I don't know how much he knows about the alternative scene. I don't know if he's, you know, if he knows about other pop punk bands like Neck Deep or State Champs or The Wonder Years. I don't think he cares to know. I think he has everything that he needs to to make top charting material, whether it's good or bad in the eyes and ears of all of you guys. Um, that's kind of where my my headspace is at when it comes to MGK. I also want to say, um, if you don't fuck with him, then don't pay attention to him. And I know, I know that's hard because he's kind of just like plastered everywhere, but you know, you guys tweeting fuck MGK or even anything like that, or like this MGK song is mid, um, you're, you're giving more content to the algorithm and you're just kind of keeping his name out there. So if you don't care about him, if you don't want to support him, if you don't fuck with him, then honestly, just don't even bother giving him the attention because that's going to keep him going. That keeps him afloat. And he's been getting nothing but attention in this whole, you know, transition to pop punk. Um, I don't really know if there was much else I had to say about that. Uh, I understand the frustrations that people have with him, but this is where we're at. This is where he's at. It's not going to change. It's not going to go away. Um, I myself, for the most part, support what he's been doing. Um, do I fuck with all of it? Definitely no. And I don't know how much more of this he can keep up before it just becomes more stale than it's already getting to. And the other thing I want to say, and I'll close on this note, um, MGK kind of being seen as like the prince of pop punk or however he was described on Billboard and, you know, the, the spearhead of, like, the pop-punk revival scene. If you hear the term pop-punk revival and you kind of just, like, you know, gag or whatever, um, understand that there are actually some artists in pop-punk revival who are putting in the work and deserve to have their name out there just as much as MGK. And I don't mean, like, you know, Lil Huddy or Jaden. I like those guys again, but I'm talking about Maggie Lindemann and Kenny Hoopla and Lolo and Charlotte Sands. Like, these people are fucking incredible, and their art is outstanding, and they need to be gassed up the same way that, you know, people gassed up MGK and others within that realm. Um, supposedly, Black Bear is going to start venturing into pop punk as well, because Black Bear, um, on his, I think it was either his Instagram story or his Instagram page or his TikTok, whatever it was, um, he kind of had like a snippet of a pop punk song, and I think that is fine i totally totally support that because black bear feels more authentic to the scene than mgk does so if black bear is going to be doing something then i definitely definitely welcome it um you know whatever mgk is going to do in the future i will be talking about it because i've kind of made that my quote-unquote job to cover artists in the scene and whether we like it or not mgk is in the scene he bitches about being rejected by the scene sure but this is where he's at. This is what he's, you know, a, I don't want to say a pillar of because that's not really true. Um, he's a big name in the scene and we kind of just have to deal with it. Uh, so yeah, 
that's kind of all I had to say uh, about MGK. And that pretty much wraps up all of my thoughts on the albums and EPs and singles from last week. Uh, I've been talking for a really long time now. My voice is starting to give in. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Let you guys go you know, about your days, back about your business. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.